Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So tonight we're, we're, we're doing a new series. Um, I, um, it's, it's called Good Grief. You know, we finished up with Poor Old Lot. Um, it's called Good Grief. Um, and we're talking about grief. Uh, tonight I'm doing the lesson. Um, next week uh, we actually have a, uh, like a guest speaker coming to do, to do the next lesson. Um, but we're, we're talking about grief. And, and I'll kind of give you a definition that we're going to be working from. But um, you know, today is a day that... You know, it, it, brings back a lot of memories to me, but it doesn't to you. Um, When I looked at the calendar and saw that we were going to be doing this lesson on September 11th, automatically my mind went back to when I was in high school. I was in 10th grade. Um, I was in Mr. Page's classroom, and I was the class president of the sophomore class, and we were having a class meeting. I don't know if you guys ever have class meetings, but I was running our class meeting. Um, and you can imagine that was a big joke. Uh, but uh, we, were, uh, we were doing that class meeting, and then all of a sudden our, um, our principal, I went to Grace Christian, so it was a Christian school, our principal came on the intercom and very abruptly, very quickly just said, uh, students, I just want to ask you guys to stop what you're doing and pray because our nation is under attack. So please pray. And then he just, no, no more information. So we're like, what? You know, we're all freaking out, you know? And um, so you know, we stopped and prayed and kind of stopped our meeting too because we don't know what's going on. So as soon as the bell rang, everybody made a beeline for the library where they had you know, the news on TV. And we, a lot of us, well, I walked in right as the second plane came crashing into to Tower 2 of, uh, of, the, of the World Trade Center, Twin Towers. And everybody, we were just shocked. You know, the bell rang again. We had to get to our next class. So every time, in between classes, everybody was going to the library and watching to see what had happened next. So the next time we went out, you know, a plane had hit the Pentagon. The next time we went out of class, it was, you know, the towers were falling and, and you, know, you went home and every network was showing the news. Even like Cartoon Network was showing CNN. Like it was that big of a deal. And it, oh, I've never experienced a time when the, a nation like literally grieved together. Um, but you don't remember that. Yeah. You, you read about it. Your parents tell you about it. Um, 9-11 is kind of another date to you that you remember from a history book. But um, I believe that you live long enough and everybody has a 9-11 in their life. Um, everybody has a date that you'll never forget, um, a day that you'll never forget, um, and you'll never forget where you were when you got news that instantly brought you grief. Um, I'll never forget exactly where I was standing in a building when I got a text from my dad that said my granddad had passed away. Never forget where I was. Never forget how I felt. And some of you will, you'll know, you, you, you've kind of already had one of those moments where you, you'll never forget where you were when you got the news that something happened that would change your life forever. And automatically that grieving process began in, in your life. Um, so, so I'm not here to talk about 9-11. I'm here to talk about your 9-11. Um, I'm here to ask you, and uh, please, you know, this is not to answer out loud. It's a rhetorical question, but what is your 9-11? What are you grieving? Uh, when we talk about grief, a lot of people kind of you know, say, and it seems to kind of work this way, that usually when, um, w- when you get news, when you get something bad that happens, when you start grieving, um, the first reaction to that thing, that loss, and grief is just generally a loss. So it can be you know, the loss of a person in your life, the loss of a, 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 of a friend, the loss of this, loss of that. The first thing that you, you ask is, um, is it really true? It's shock. It's denial. Um, did I really see what I saw on TV? Did that 
did that text really mean what it meant? And did that person on the other end of the phone really say what I heard them say? Then you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you think, was that just a dream? Did I I dream about that? Does that really happen? And then you get up and you you realize that, yeah, that's that's reality. And as the denial starts to wear off, um, a lot of people get angry. A lot of people go through anger. And um, you ask questions like, why would God let this happen? And, and you, you, if my dad would have stood up to that person or if my, you, if my mom and dad would have been less prideful, they could have worked it out or this or that or this or that. And you, you, you find somebody to blame and then eventually you realize that even if somebody is to blame, being angry at them, blaming, it doesn't change the reality of the situation. Um, so then you go what's into a stage that I call the why stage. You try to find a reason for the pain. You try to find a reason for the grief. Um, and you start saying, well, what is God trying to do through this? Or, or what, what, if, what if I could have done this different? Or if I could have done this different? Or what if I was a better like, like kid in my house? Would my parents still be together? Or you, this and that and this and that. You, try, you start asking yourself these questions. And um, a lot of times you don't get answers to those questions. Sometimes you do. But whether you get them or you don't, it doesn't take the hurt away. And that's when people go into depression. Uh, that's when people say it's not going to get any better. Um, that's when people say there's just no use in trying. And some people get stuck there. And then there are a lot of people who are, who are resilient and they, they, they work through grief and they work through tragedy and they come to what yeah, a lot of, I guess, yeah, um, psychologists or counselors call acceptance, meaning that you acknowledge that something happened, but you realize that even though you still hurt, you're going to be okay and you can still live your life. And, um, yeah, I want you to know. I don't know. I don't know what your grief is. You know, whether it's it, it, it's a medical diagnosis, whether it's a friend that moved away. Um, yeah, I, I know in, in our group and you know in high school, um, you guys. You know, there are people um, that have gone to your schools um, who have taken their own life. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the grief is that, that that you thought when I said, "What's your 9/11?" Um, but I'm here to tell you first that you are going to be okay. But I can tell you something that the rest of the world cannot because as believers in Christ, we can believe that we're not just going to be okay. Uh, We can believe, and we'll see it in God's Word, that we're not just going to be okay, but that Jesus is going to fix the hurt in our life, and Jesus is going to fix the grief in our life. But until then, comfort is available through Jesus. Um, so I know that's kind of a heavy way. That's, 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 a, tough, that's a tough way to start. You know, usually our, 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 our lessons start with a funny video, a um, couple stories, and then we get into the Bible. This starts kind of heavy. I realize that. This is a heavy topic, and I don't think I'd be honoring to what you're going through if I was making a bunch of jokes. So that's why I just kind of started the way I did. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7, and we see a story of grief and a story of a Jesus who is big enough to fix it. Um, we talked last year about Jesus in the crowds. Jesus always had a crowd following him. You know, he's always had you know, people running after him, pursuing him. And this was no different in Luke 7. Um, we're going to start in verse 11. But before we get there, just to kind of set it up, Jesus had just healed the servant of a centurion. And people realized, wow, this guy can heal people. I think I want to follow him. I want to see what he's going to do next. So Jesus has this huge crowd that follows him out of this big city called Capernaum to this smaller city called Nain. It'd be like walking, well, it'd be a little bit longer of a distance, but it'd be kind of like going from Huntington to Barbersville. You know, Huntington's like the bigger city, more urban. Barbersville's a little more country, a little more small town feel. You know what I mean? So Jesus is 
taking this crowd, and it's almost like a parade. It's this happy, you know, like Fall Fest is coming up, the good old Fall Fest parade. You know, everybody's happy, and except the people that are in the parade and that are sweating and pelting people with candy. Um, but, you know, it's a, you know, it's this fun event. It's this fun procession. Well, Jesus is leading this parade, and you see it in verse 11. It says, soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. That's verse 11. And a great crowd went with him. So this, you know, imagine like all the people, they're excited, they're following Jesus, woo, 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 you know, they're playing, you know, they, they've got, you know, they're playing music, they're pumped up, they're excited. But then in verse 12, things change. It says, as he grew, drew near to the gate, the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd was in the town with her. Uh, two things you need to know about a Jewish funeral two words to describe it, fast and loud. It was fast because back then, you know, first century, 120 degree weather, um, when somebody died in that area, in that time, they were buried the next day. Or they were, excuse me, they were buried the same day. Funerals happen the same day as death because, I'm not trying to, I don't want to be too morbid or you know, graphic, but bodies decompose very quickly in that climate. So they would have to bury someone like that day, just like we learned that Jesus was buried the same day that he died. So this, they had to bury that person that same day. So yeah, if the funeral was fast, I mean, he, he died in the morning. He was heading out of the town to the cemetery outside the gate in the afternoon. The other thing is it was loud. When a funeral happened, the whole town stopped. When somebody died, the whole town stopped everything they were doing. They rallied around the family of the person who died. They would follow the family out of the town. And this was a job. This was like a, a job in the town is that you would be a professional wailer, a professional crier. You know, Tom Brady, Brady gets like, you know, so many million dollars to cry on national TV. Well, the, the, these guys probably didn't get paid that much. Um, but yeah, literally that was their job. And they were, they, even if they didn't know the person, they were paid to cry to stir up this feeling of grief. So the whole town would follow the funeral crying, wailing. They'd be, ah, I don't know. I'm not a good fake crier. You know, yeah, some of you girls, you know, some of you guys, you guys too can really fake cry to turn on the you know, faucet. I can't. But um, so, so imagine... It's almost like a game of chicken with the two crowds. One's Jesus' big fall fest happy parade coming in the city. And then you have this funeral procession with loud weeping and wailing coming out of the city. Jesus in the front of the fun parade. The widow in the front of the funeral parade. And they meet. And what happens? It says in verse 13, when the Lord, that's Jesus, saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Yeah, if you don't know Jesus and they didn't know Jesus, I'd be pretty ticked. You know, he crashes my funeral and tells me not to cry. Yeah, he, say, he says do not cry to this woman who's followed by you know, hundreds of people who are crying at the top of their lungs. And he says, do not cry. I think I'd have something to say. Um, but especially because you know, if you don't know Jesus... But it says, then he came up and he touched the bier. And that was like, they didn't, have co they didn't use coffins. Um, they had, it was like a stretcher that they would carry people out of the city on. So he touched it. That's, that's what that was, the bier, the, the, the stretcher. And the bearers, the people holding the casket, or the, you know, stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, he's talking to a dead person. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Dead people don't sit up. Dead people don't speak. This one did. And Jesus gave him to his mother. <laughs> I can, it, it, Jesus obviously was perfect. He wasn't a smart aleck. I'm a smart aleck. I've been like, hey, see, I told you not to cry. But um, um, 
he, he, he automatically gives power to those words, don't cry, right? And he gives this man back to his mother, alive. And then it says fear or amazement is, is another good translation of that Greek word in verse 16. Seize them all and they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is almost like, you know, when you watch a trailer of a movie or you watch like a montage of something, you know how they throw a montage in a movie, Rocky has the best montages by the way, but you know, they show uh, something that happens over a long period of time, but they set it to music and you can get the sense of what happened in like 30 seconds that really took hours or days or months or years. This is almost like a montage of what Jesus does in the lives of people who believe in him. You see it happen very short, but in our lives it's very a very long process, if that makes sense. And um, I asked you the question at the beginning, what, it, what is it that you grieve? What is, what is the cause of your grief? What is your 9-11? I think Jesus has some things that we learn in here that he would say to you about your grief. Um, and the first thing that I think he would say is that crises are unavoidable. Doesn't cri- yeah, yeah, crises is the plural of crisis. It's one of those cool you know, plural words that just sounds cool to say. Crises. Um, you know, before sin, there was no such thing as a crisis. Before sin, there was no such thing as grief. Um, but when sin entered the world and death entered through sin and um, d- disease entered through sin and you know, fighting between people entered through sin, crises... Are hap- they happen all the time. Uh, I have a picture here, hopefully not PTSD, but you know, of the little, you know, the little fill in the bubble kind of test, which I always hated. Um, you know, some of you, you know, you realize it's not even worth it to take the test, so you just make patterns, but um, not a good way to take the ACT. Um, but you, who here has a test they have to take sometime this week? They have, they have a test schedule. Yeah. And here, here's what you know is you can study for your test. You don't necessarily have to study for your test. You can halfway study for your test. You can cram for your test. But however you approach the test, the test is going to happen. Unless you're really good at sucking up to your teacher. The test is going to happen. And there's nothing you can do to change that. All you can do is prepare for it. It's kind of like a crisis. Um, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, the, the president of the university that I went, the Christian university that I went to before he passed away, every time he would, he, he would, he had this one sermon he'd always preach and he'd always say this. He would always say, you're either in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go back into a crisis. And I found that to be true in my life. And you, one thing that's interesting, like as, as, as I remember as a teenager, is that you, 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 you start realizing that you're experiencing crises. When you're a kid, you don't realize it. When you're a teenager, you realize it, you're, you're, that you're experiencing grief. And, and, and crises are unavoidable. And this lady, this widow, was experiencing an unavoidable crisis. And it hit her in a bunch of different ways. Um, it hit her financially because... Back then, it's just the reality of the situation. It's a terrible thing, but women weren't allowed to work or have employment or own houses or buildings or land back in the first century. The only way that they could care for themselves is that they had a male relative who, it's just the way it was, it's a terrible society, but if you had a male relative who would provide for you and who, would, who, who, who could you know, you give you money and give you food and give you things. And this seems to be, she was a widow, she didn't have a husband, this was her only son. She lost her only I mean, she's, her son was so much more to her than that, but she lost her only connection to be able to take care of herself. She had no one to take care of her. Um, yeah, so automatically, she went from having someone who provided for her to the next day, where is she going to eat the next meal? She lost her 
seemed to be her only family. Um, she didn't have a husband, only had one son. It looks like she only has you know, one person who she could connect with that, that knew her, and this person left. So all them actually, she went from having a son to being alone. Um, and some of you, your grief, your crisis left you feeling very alone. Uh, she was also uh, in a place where this crisis came very unexpectedly and it wrecked her plans. You know, some of you had plans. You know, you're like, my dad's going to walk me down the aisle or my mom's going to help me pick up my prom dress or this best friend is going to be with me for senior year and it's going to be awesome. And then that person moved or that person's no longer in your life or this or that. And, and it was unexpected. Just like that woman did not wake up expecting her son to die. She did not expect to be in that situation, but it was there because crises are unavoidable. That's a tough, yeah, things have not been looking really, <laughs> really bright lately. It's gonna, get good, it's gonna get better, I promise. The next thing I believe Jesus would say to us is that, that tears, crying is understandable. If you read this passage, it almost seems like if you just read this and don't read any other part of the Bible, it almost seems like Jesus is like uh, correcting or chastising this woman for, pre for crying because he says to her, do not weep. Is it a sin to weep? Is it a sin to cry? <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> you guys are in trouble too, right? Everything, everybody cries, right? Um, but what we learn and what you're gonna learn next week in the passage you learn next week is that Jesus cried. He cried. There, there are two documented times of Jesus crying in the Bible. He cried when Lazarus passed away. He cried over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus cried. So he's obviously and he, yeah, not talking about crying as a sin. Uh, in Romans 12, 15, we are instructed as Christians to weep with those who weep. Uh, in Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows himself and acquainted with grief. So Jesus is not saying here that it's wrong to cry. Um, and we find in, in the Bible actually instructs us to cry with people who cry. And we find Jesus crying with people who cried. So it, it's okay to cry. Jesus was not upset at this woman for crying. Um, what he did, why he said do not weep is because the next verse, he gives her a reason not to weep. And I think that's the next thing that Jesus would, um, would want us to know is that he is able. Uh, I think I, I did all see and you, or see and, see and able words, so it actually says Christ is able because it fits with the, <laughs> fits with the paradigm. Um, maybe that slide's not there, but the, the, the point is Christ is able. And uh, what we see here is, wow, this, this one's pretty cool. What Jesus does here to fix this situation. He does what people won't do to help this lady and what people couldn't do to help this lady. First, he does what people won't do. If you look, he says he came up and touched the casket or the bear. Back then, they had this kind of, it was like this superstition belief. They kind of mixed a little Bible with a little superstition. They believed that if you touched a dead person, you were out of fellowship with God for the rest of the day, that you had to go through all this ceremonial washing to wash yourself, that um, you could, if, if you touched a, de a dead person or a casket and you touched somebody else, they became ceremonially un unclean. So for like a, a religious teacher like Jesus to touch a dead body, everybody's like, oh, they wouldn't do it. Nobody else would do it. Jesus did what people wouldn't do, but he also did, obviously, what people couldn't do. When he said, don't cry, those were not empty words because he had the power to take away her tears. It says, he touched the bear. The bear said, still, he said to you, he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And it says, and the dead man sat up and began to speak. Twice in the passage, I circled them both. It's in verse 12 and in verse 15. They want to make sure you know this guy was dead. 
Like he didn't hit his head and pass out. He didn't eat too many slices of apple pie and fall into a sugar coma. Like, like he, he was dead. He had no pulse. Jesus spoke to the dead. The dead sat up, spoke, and was alive. Um, Jesus has power over death, and he has power over grief. And one way we kind of learn about that, there's this prophecy. We already talked about it a little bit in Isaiah 53. You can turn there. You don't have to turn there. You may want to just write it down. But in Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus, and it says this. It says, surely he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of our peace, and by his wounds we are healed. So we talked last week about how Jesus paid the price for our sin, and our sins died with him. But according to this verse, not only did our sins, the the power of our sins die with him, the power of our grief died with him too. So our grief is as dead as our sin in its power. And one day, just like Jesus comes back and there will be no more sin, there will be no more injustice in the world. When Jesus comes back, there will be no more grief in the world. And Revelation 21 talks a little bit about that. Um, and, and this would be, a, maybe if you're struggling with grief, this would be a great verse for you to remember, highlight, read, you put it on an index card. And Revelation 21.4 says this about Jesus when he returns. It says, he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow There'll be no more crying and no more sickness and no more pain for the former things have all passed away. So Jesus is not only gonna come and he's gonna fix all the injustice and death will no longer reign, but Jesus, when he comes, he is going to take away the word for wipe away. In the Greek, it's really cool. It almost, it, it, it's almost like it has to do with obliterating or erasing. So you know when you wipe a tear off of your eye, you, you still have like the wet part under your eye. There's not gonna be no more wet part when Jesus wipes away your tears. Your grief is gonna be gone. Your grief is gonna be forgotten. Your grief is gonna be remedied. The people you lost, you're gonna be reunited with. You're gonna be with the Savior. So Jesus promises this. But remember, like I said, this section is kind of like a montage, right? We live in the in-between. We live between the crisis and Christ's return. So what about those of us who struggle with grief during the in-between? That's where this point is, that during the in-between, comfort is available. Verse 13 is really the, I think, the main focus of this passage, and you see Jesus doing something that really he didn't have to do. It was not required of him to do, but he did it, I think, because he wanted to teach us something. In verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. There's this connection here, and I really wish we could develop it more, but there's this connection between when Jesus saw this woman crying and the compassion that he extended to this woman. And this word for compassion, you guys have been around Refuel long enough. You know, I've talked to you about this Greek word before. It's the word splognitsomai, which is just so cool to say. But what it has, the, the literal like, translation of this Greek word is to be moved in one's bowels, which is so disgusting. And middle school lost it, and I just lost them after that. But w- back then, the bowel, yeah, when you see, will somebody tell those middle schoolers to go back down around? I don't want to have to deal with their stuff. <laughs> Tried to use the right S word there. Um, but um, 
Sorry. Um, anyway. <laughs>
And until I wipe away the tears from your eyes, you can be part of an incredible story, not just in your life, but your story can change somebody else's story. So yeah, Dakota put the last slide up because he's like, Matt, you got to get out of here. Uh, but here's, here are the two kind of like application points. I want to ask you to do one of these two things. If, if you're grieving, first reach out to Jesus. Read his promises. Immerse yourself in his word. Pick up a dwell devotional at the table. Get close to Jesus. Second thing is reach out to someone. If you need someone to talk to, you need someone to kind of do, I, I'm not going to cry loud, I'm not going to cry fake, but if you need someone to cry with you or just to hear what you're going through, Talk to your tag leader. Talk to the friend who brought you. Um, if you don't have anyone to talk to, I, sometimes I do this. I put my number on the screen. So if you need someone, to, you'd rather hide behind a phone and text, that's totally okay. My number's on the screen um, here and back. Well, I think our screen died back there. So my number's on the screen back there. We'll just leave it up on the screen back there when we leave. Uh, but you, you write it down. If you need to text me tonight or, or text April tonight, yeah, that's my number. We're all, if you need April, I'll send you her number, just text me. Uh, we want to be here for you. Uh, yeah, nobody should cry alone. That's, that's, that's just what I think. Um, so God offers comfort through Jesus, and one day he's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Um, so let me pray for you guys, and then we'll bring our middle school in, okay? Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together. Oh, God, thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, we, we would be, just like in, in Thessalonians, they said we would sorrow without hope, but God, because of Jesus, we, don't, we sorrow, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. Uh, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the comfort that he can bring tonight. We also believe in the final comfort that he's going to bring when he comes down to earth and we see him face to face and he makes everything right. So God, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the hope that we have in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.